hey guys, here in Utah, in order to honor the sacrifice of healthcare workers, our local military base, Hill Air Force Base, did a flyover with their jets. And I was getting ready to record this podcast, but I didn't know how loud that was going to be. So I figured I might as well just take a pause, go outside and um, watch the flyover. And to be completely honest, it was a little bit underwhelming in that it wasn't as loud or as powerful as I imagined it to be. But what was surprising was I felt a little bit emotional. And I tried to real like I tried to figure out what was happening. <laughs> Why am I feeling this way about these four jets flying over Utah County? And I realized I kind of love what this whole coronavirus thing has done to people. And what I mean by that is I love that there are heroes celebrating other heroes. For some reason, that is just really beautiful to me. I think that this whole experience has brought to light some of the sacrifices in our community made by people in our community that we take for granted. I just thought that was really beautiful. I love people. I love humans. And I love what humans do for each other. Anyways, that's totally random. and has nothing to do with our podcast today, but... I just thought it was beautiful. It was a beautiful day outside. It's beautiful what people are doing. And I know there's been a lot of negative and a lot of hard that has come out of this, but there are a couple of things I am really going to miss. And I think that I hope that we take take it forward with us, right? But one of the things I am going to miss is going to miss is the simplicity of being human, right? And slowing down and and celebrating seemingly insignificant things that actually matter a lot when you take a minute to look at them. But anyways, let's dive right in today. For a podcast today, I wanted to talk a little bit about dieting. And I know that that's not the most exciting thing to talk about, but I've realized as I've had questions coming in um, and also working with clients and, and working with other people that understanding the science behind dieting and why it is dangerous and why it doesn't work is actually a really important framework, or I guess I should say foundation, in order to learn to make peace with food and to make peace with your body. In order to be able to reject the, men- the diet mentality and to be able to move on from what we've always known, we have to first understand those habits and the science behind them are flawed. So for the purpose of this podcast, it's important to make a distinction. A diet is a way of habitually eating. Okay, so like when archaeologists and anthropologists study civilizations of people, they talk about their diet and their diet was what they ate. But we, when we use the word diet, we're typically referring to a means of restriction, restriction of some kind, right? When someone goes on a diet, they are either restricting certain amounts of food or restricting certain food groups But it's all, a diet is all based around restriction of some kind, right? You're either measuring food and weighing food or um, 
restriction with regards to when you eat. You know, you don't eat between these hours or restriction as to how much of each food you eat. So a, a diet is basically restriction. And I think that that's important to establish that fact before we keep moving. And usually the goal of a, re- of a diet or of restriction is to change the shape of your body, you know, or to lower body fat. For some people, it's they're, in tri- they're trying to improve other health markers, maybe their blood pressure, or maybe they have insulin sensitivity or are pre-diabetic. Those kinds of things often motivate people to try to make changes to their diet, to try to restrict in one way or another. And diets have actually been around for a while. I mean, we can find advertisements and literature regarding diets dating back into the 40s. However, in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, is when dieting really, really started to become mainstream and really, really popular. But here's what is really, really ironic, is that as dieting has increased in popularity and in frequency, so has the rate of obesity in children and adults. Isn't that really interesting? As a society, the more that we have dieted, the more our obesity rates have gone up. So have the rates of eating disorders and disordered eating. But isn't that interesting that the goal of dieting is typically to reduce body fat or to change our body size. But yet what we're seeing is that the more that people are dieting, the more we are seeing obesity within our communities and within our population. I want to be really, really clear right now because Larger bodies is not the problem. Having a larger body is not the problem. The problem is, is that dieting is selling a message to you, telling you that by participating in this restriction, you will be able to decrease your body size. And the science does not back that up in any way. In fact, what the science shows us is that 90 to 95% of diets fail. I want you to think about that for just one second because we often like to focus on that 10 to 5% possible success rate, right? We're like, well, I'm going to be one of those 5% where this is going to work, okay? But I want you to think about this because diets typically consume a huge part of our lives, right? They They can take a lot of money, They can take a lot of time and a lot of brain power and emotional energy. And so I want you to assign that same failure rate to other things. For example, would you buy a package of cookies if there was a 90 to 95% chance that it would be full of cockroaches? Would you get on an airplane that had a 90 to 95% chance of going down? Right, you wouldn't say, okay, wait, there's a 10, 5 to 10% chance that we could get to our destination safely. Right? No way. No way. Right? If something has a 90 to 95% fail rate, why? Why do we keep passing that on, passing on that information and telling people that if they'll just learn to do it right, that it will be successful? 
What if the issue is not at all that humans aren't good at dieting? What if it's that dieting is broken inherently in and of itself? The truth is, is that it is. Dieting does not work. And the more that I go through the studies and the more that I do my research, the more I almost am flabbergasted that we have allowed these ideas to be so pervasive in our society. There was a study that was done in UCLA in 2007. And in this study, they reviewed 31 different weight loss studies. Don't mind me while I just pull out my notes. Um, So they reviewed 31 long-term studies on dieting. And here's what they concluded from these studies. Here's what they realized. Dieting is a consistent predictor of weight gain. Out of 31 research research studies, they found the one thing in common that all of them had was that people who dieted, up to two-thirds of the people who dieted, regained more weight than they lost. There was another study that was done in Finland, and it was done on twins because they wanted to kind of remove the biological, um, the genetic variation, right? So they thought, okay, if we take 2,000 sets of twins from Finland, ages 16 to 25, and they found that dieting itself, independent of genetics, is significantly associated with accelerated weight gain and increased risk of becoming overweight. So within these dieting twins, those who embarked on just one intentional weight loss episode were nearly two to three times more likely to become overweight compared to their non-dieting twin. There was also another study done taking 20,000 women. And this study was done Uh, by the Women's Health Initiative, and it's the largest and the longest and the most expensive randomized controlled like clinical trial that we have to date. And they were testing whether even more so than the physical damage that dieting does to our bodies, to our hormones, um, I think one of the most dangerous things that dieting does is the role that it plays in eroding our self-confidence and our self-trust. Um, Some psychologists found that people who diet consistently have higher levels of social anxiety and lowered self-esteem. There was another really famous study that was done by Dr. Ansel Keys, and it was done um, just around World War II. And the purpose of the study was they were trying to figure out how to help famine sufferers. So this study was not done to test or study weight loss at all. They were trying to figure out how they could best help all of these um, people who had been put in concentration camps, how how they could help them both psychologically and physiologically repair the damage that had been done to their bodies. So what they did was they took 32 really healthy men, and they ran them through all of these tests, and they made sure that they had superior mental and physical health. And so during the first three months of the study, the men ate as they pleased, right? They just ate their normal everyday average diet. And then following those three months, for six months, they went into a period of starvation. They cut their calories nearly in half. But here is what is a result of that that cutting, right, or that, that starvation period. Their metabolic rate decreased by 40%. The men were obsessed with food. They had heightened food cravings, and they talked about food and collected recipes. 
right? They, their eating style changed. It was very common for them to binge. They, um, they even stole candy. They stole food. They exercised deliberately to, to try to get more food rations. But what's even more scary is that their personalities changed. And in many cases, they said there was irritability, moodiness, and depression, all as a result of going through the starvation period. Now, here is what is so startling about this study. During their starvation period, do you want to know how many calories these men were eating? 1,570 calories. 1,570 calories was how much these, these men were eating during their starvation period. What is so scary to me about this is I cannot tell you how many women I talked to at the gym as an exercise instructor and as a personal trainer who come up to me and say, I am working so hard and my body is just not changing. And my first question to them, besides why do you want to change your body, is, so I guess my second question to them is, are you getting enough food? And so many times they tell me, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm being so strict. I'm sticking to like 1,500, 1,600 calories a day. I know that men and women are biologically different and that men have a higher basal metabolic rate, meaning that they need more food than women typically to survive. However, the fact that we diet and restrict in a way that is almost mirroring starvation to our bodies is so scary to me. So I want you to think for just a minute about your personal experiences with dieting. How many times have you failed? And why do we keep going back to it? Right? If diets worked, we wouldn't ever need to go back to dieting, right? But they don't. They don't work. But yet we go back to them time and time again, a lot of times because we tell ourselves that we are broken, right? Something is wrong with us. We just couldn't stick with the diet. If we could just stick with the diet long enough, it would work, which isn't true. And we're going to talk a little bit more about why it's biologically impossible to diet long term. But I think some of the reasons why we keep going back to dieting are, one, it gives us a sense of control in our lives. Sometimes there are things going on in our lives that are overwhelming and that are hard and things that we don't have any control over, right? And so if, if we can diet, we have this one sense of control, right? We can measure this one thing. We can be in charge of this one thing. So that's one reason. In fact, it's often very normal for people to turn to dieting when they have experienced a big change in their life, either a significant loss of a loved one or the birth of a new child or a big job change, um, a divorce or a separation. It's really common to want to diet because we're seeking for that sense of control. Another reason we diet is it helps us kind of cope with life right? It helps us. It requires a lot of energy and a lot of focus. And so we can kind of ignore other issues in our life. And also with dieting, we can kind of see more quote unquote instant changes, right? Our body weight can fluctuate a certain amount of pounds every day, just naturally. And so there's a sense of empowerment that comes right from seeing these changes. 
And other times, other times we go to dieting to fill up time, to create a challenge. I know that sounds really silly, but sometimes in life it's mundane and maybe boring. And our brains are wired to want a challenge, to want to progress, to want to be better and different and do more. That's a natural part of our brain. And so sometimes if we are, if we're feeling bored, it seems fun to like set this diet, this kind of un, this goal that seems hard to attain. So yeah, we diet for that to fill up time or to create a challenge. A lot of times we diet to hotwire connection. That's a term that Brene Brown uses. And she means like we want to feel connected to other people. And so, and that requires sacrifice and emotional vulnerability. And that's too hard. So sometimes we do other things such as dieting together, right? It gives us something to talk about. We can talk about how are you doing today on your macros? Well, here's how I'm doing. And do you want to go exercise together? And it's, it's, a, it's a way that we connect we feel that we're connecting with other women. And a lot of times, another reason we diet is to feel better about ourselves, right? We're sure, we're just sure that once we reach this certain weight, we'll feel this certain way. We'll be able to live our life the way we always wanted to live our life. These are all some of the reasons why we keep coming back to dieting, even though it's never worked for us in the past. You might be thinking, okay, so now what? Okay, so so dieting doesn't work. And it's interesting because I think there are two common reactions to this that I've seen. One is relief. And that's like, oh, it wasn't me that was broken. It's dieting. Dieting doesn't work. And there's this sense of relief. But more often what I see is, so now what? What am I supposed to do? Okay, dieting doesn't work, but are you just saying that I'm just supposed to stop trying to take care of myself? And that is not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that you should always try to be healthy. In fact, I believe very strongly that it is a sacred stewardship that we have to take care of our bodies in the best way we can. But instead of focusing on dieting as a means of being more healthy— Let's focus on the behaviors that have actually been scientifically proven to add years to our life, okay? Examples of that are movement every day, moderate movement. It doesn't have to be anything intense. Even just walking for 30 minutes a day has shown to have a significant improvement on our health, including more fiber in our diets through vegetables and whole grains, Right? That is one thing that has been scientifically proven to increase our level of health. Getting enough sleep, dealing with our mental health, lifting weights is another thing that has been scientifically proven to increase our health. It helps with our, um, with, prevents osteoporosis. It helps as we grow older to help us with our balance and with our bone density. All of these things help with health. So, Abandoning diets doesn't mean that you're abandoning health. In fact, it's the opposite. Abandoning diets allows you to then focus more on actual behaviors that can help you achieve better health. Another thing that I'm not trying to say is that you should change. I think that a lot of times when we talk about how diets don't work, 
sometimes it's easy to feel defensive, right? We're like, no, 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 I do X, Y, and Z. And that has helped me in A, B, C, D ways. And that is awesome. That is so great for you. I am not telling you that you need to change. If what you're doing right now is working for you and allowing you to show up in your life exactly how you want, then please keep doing what you're doing, right? Because that's the purpose of all of this. That's the purpose of this work is to help you show up in your life the way you want to show up. However, what I am trying to say is that if the way, if your relationship with food and your body right now is not serving you and is not helping you show up in life how you want to show up, there is another way. And I just want to make sure that you're aware of that. That you don't have to be dieting. You don't have to be counting macros and measuring your marinades and putting your food in small containers and not eating between the hours of 5 p.m. and 8 a.m., right? Like there is so much more that you can be doing to take care of yourself and to improve your relationship with food. My ultimate purpose in sharing this information with you about how diets don't work is so that you understand that nothing is wrong with you. A study that was done by some psychologists, it literally makes my heart hurt. And what they found is that people with larger bodies truly believed that they had a fundamental character deficit, that something was fundamentally wrong with them as humans, and that's why they had bigger bodies. And that is a result of so much crap that is being thrown at them, so many messages that are not true about dieting and health and bodies. And so my goal right now is to just make sure you understand that whether you choose to continue dieting or not, that when you fail at your diet, it's not you. Okay, it's the diet. It's the system that doesn't work. And why? Why does dieting not work? Well, here's a couple theories. One is that We don't understand the human body nearly as much as we think we do. An example of that is calories in versus calories out, right? How long have we heard that that is the magical equation, calories in versus calories out? Here's the deal. If that truly were it, if it really was just a matter of moving more and eating less, there would not be a single person in the world who would weigh a single ounce more than they wanted to. Because we have the ability right now to measure caloric intake, to measure calories, and to measure through our heart rate and all those things how much we burn each day. We have the ability to measure that in such a precise way. So we should be able to calculate exactly how much we're consuming and exactly how much we're burning and figure out exactly how much we should weigh literally down to the day, according to our choices, if calories in versus calories out were truly the magic equation that they claim it to be. However, it's not, because our bodies are so much more complex than just this input-output machine. 
right? We have hormones and body systems and other messages that are being taken in and processed constantly within our bodies. And all of those systems are interconnected and influence one another. So as soon as you make a change to one of those systems, you have this chain reaction effect throughout your body that influences so many other things. You have to remember that your body's number one ultimate goal is to keep you alive. It's number one goal. That's all that it does is focusing on keeping you alive. That's its job. And it does its job well. In fact, the fact that you have failed at diets a hundred times shows that your body is doing exactly what it needs to do to try to protect you and take care of you. Like we learned about in the Ansel Keys study, the study done of those young men, young men whose calories were reduced to 1,500 calories a day, there is significant psychological and physiological damage that comes when we restrict food. Have you ever heard of Maslow, Abraham Maslow? He was a psychologist in the 1940s, and he introduced this idea that is now referred to as Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And essentially he created this pyramid of our, our basic, our needs as a human being. And he divided it into five sections, slowly moving up along this pyramid. And the needs at the bottom are our most basic needs that must be met in order for us to proceed to meet the needs of the level above it. So for example, on the bottom, there's our physical needs, the need for air, water, food, and rest, and health. And above that, the next level is security, the need for safety and shelter and stability. And then above that is our social needs, the need to be loved and to belong and to feel included. And then the next level up is our ego, right? The need for self-esteem and recognition and prestige. And then our last, the last top need is self-actualization, the need for development and creativity and progression. So I think it is so interesting that at the bottom of that hierarchy of needs, the most basic ones are air, water, food, and rest. Food is at the bottom. And so when we restrict food to a level that is dangerous for our bodies and for our minds, we then have a difficulty meeting those other needs, those social needs, those needs of creativity and development and confidence and self-esteem. It erodes at our self-confidence and our and our need for belonging, which is which makes a lot of sense because remember those studies we talked about earlier about how psychologists found that the more people engaged in dieting, the more it eroded their self-confidence and self-trust, the higher amount of social anxiety they had. That all makes sense when you look at Maslow's hierarchy. Food is at the very base. And so when we take away food, our body is going to compensate with biological and psychological mechanisms that have been put in place to protect us. For example, when we diet, when we restrict, it slows our metabolism. Our metabolism is often referred to in reference to our digestion of food, but metabolism is how our body works. It's all the processes of 
our body and how those work in order to keep us alive. So it slows down not just our digestion, right? But it slows down our bodies, all of the systems that require energy within our body, which are all of them, (laughs) okay? It slows down all of those systems. And it also stimulates the brain to eat more, right? When we don't have enough of this most basic thing that we need, food, our body, it's going to stimulate for our brain to activate certain protection mechanisms within our body that will then basically turn on this warning light. Like you need food and your body can operate for a while by ignoring these signals. It can. That's why we can diet for a couple of weeks and kind of feel really good, right? We we're feeling like we're conquering this new challenge and it's kind of exciting and we're seeing a little bit of change as, as our, as our body responds to this deprivation But after a while, your body goes into major survival mode. So our hypothalamus is located within our brain. And the hypothalamus, I mean, every part of your brain is really important. But the hypothalamus is kind of like the control center. It monitors the energy needs of all of your body systems from moment to moment. Okay, literally, it is taking, it's like a thermostat taking, yeah, taking careful readings constantly of all of your different body systems. And the way that the hypothalamus communicates with our body is through hormones and through neurofeedback. So the hypothalamus is responsible for the hormones that affect our appetite and regulate our appetite. And it's also responsible for the hormones that affect our mood and our state of mind, our physical energy, and our sex drive. Okay, all of those are operated within the hypothalamus. So when the hypothalamus starts to get messages from our body systems, for example, our blood saying, hey, we don't have enough sugar in our blood right now. We're going to start tanking in just a little bit unless we get food. Your your hypothalamus is going to start to send messages to other parts of your body, right, saying we need food. And your belly is going to start to grumble. And you're going to start to maybe get a headache. And and, and these things are going to start to happen within your body, letting you know that you need food. Okay, and if you ignore these messages, they just get louder. There is another chemical in your body that's referred to as neuropeptide Y. And neuropeptide Y is what is responsible for triggering the drive within your body to eat carbohydrates. And carbohydrates are our body's preferred energy source. Okay, so in the morning, when we wake up, our neuropeptide Y levels are the highest, right? Because we haven't been eating all night. But the more you fight your neuropeptide Y signals, it's telling you that you need carbohydrates, the more your neuropeptide Y signals drive up your desire for carbohydrates. If you continue to keep fasting throughout the day, your neuropeptide Y levels are going to continually increase, trying to send a message to your body, you need carbohydrates. Why? Why do we need carbohydrates so badly? It's because our brain, our nervous system, and our red blood cells rely only upon carbohydrates in order to function properly. They need carbohydrates in order to function properly. And I know that a lot of people say, oh, oh, well, I'm just going to, if I fast like this, if I don't eat like this for a while, then my body fat turns into carbohydrates, which can then be used for fuel. However, I think it's important that you understand that only 5% of the fat on your body can be converted to carbohydrates for fuel. And it takes energy 
a lot of energy to be able to convert that fat into carbohydrates. And the problem is, is if you're not eating, your body doesn't have energy. So it's going to turn to other ways and other easier systems to break down in order to get energy. So it typically starts to break down your muscles, right? Because that's where it can get energy easier and faster. I mean, those are just some of the systems within our body, right? We have other hormones like our leptin and our ghrelin that are responsible for our appetite. There's so many things within our body that are their, their role is to help us make sure that we are meeting those most basic needs, right? The need for air, water, food, rest. And the longer we ignore those, the louder those messages get. And that's why we can't diet for so long, right? We can do it for a couple of weeks, sometimes even a couple of months, but then we binge. And that is, is a completely normal physiological response to starvation. That is your body saying, ultimately, we have reached a point where we cannot function any longer in this way. So we're going to send as many messages to your brain and literally change how you think in order to get you to finally put some food into your body, enough food into your body, enough that we can do something with it. So do you see how your body, that may to you feel like a major failure, right? Because here you did, you, you, were, you were doing so well on your diet and then you failed. But I want to tell you that's not true, okay? Your body came through for you in that moment. It did exactly what it was supposed to do. It kept you alive. Like I said earlier, coming to the conclusion and looking at the science and being honest with ourselves and admitting that dieting doesn't work can be really hard, right? It can feel, there can be a mourning period, right? There's a thing of grief of like, well, what am I supposed to do now? I also think it's easy for us to rationalize, right? To say, well, no, I know this one person who did this thing and they lost a lot of weight, right? We find, we find ways to hang on to that 5% chance that this might work. And that's okay. I think that that's a natural human thing to do. But I want you, my challenge for you today is to just take a minute to think about how has dieting affected your behavior in the past? How has dieting affected your relationships? How has dieting affected your social life and your pursuit of other goals? Is there anything that you have lost as a result of dieting? And lastly, how will letting go of dieting help you to reclaim some of those things today, right now? I know that everyone is in different places on their journey, right? And it does wherever you are is exactly where you're supposed to be. That's okay. I just know that for me, when I finally gave myself permission to stop dieting, there was just the biggest sense of relief. But I also confess that there were times after that where I seriously reconsidered just trying one last time to diet and to lose just a little bit of weight. But then I went back to these questions, and I remembered 
all of the time that dieting stole from me. All of the self-loathing that came into my life and the beating myself up for not being quote-unquote good enough or strict enough or in control enough. Right? When, and when I remembered those things, when I looked at those things in my life, that helped me to celebrate, right? That helped me to let go and to really be okay with trying something new and trying something different. And you might be asking yourself right now, like, okay, I'm going to try this out. I'm, I'm going to try to let go of dieting. I'm gonna th- but what does that look like? What do I do next? Like if I'm not dieting, that's all I've known. So what do I do next? Well, I've got good news for you, sister, because next week on Tuesday, we'll be releasing the next our next episode. And we're going to go into more of what next. If we're letting go of dieting, now what? We're going to kind of dive into intuitive eating, what it is, what it looks like in your life. How can you learn to trust yourself again? So I hope you join us next week. We're going to get these podcasts out every Tuesday um, in order for you to be able to count on those and look forward to those. But I hope that you will take the time, like I said in our last podcast, to share this podcast with other women for you in order to help you create your community of women that are trying to find radical self-acceptance, right? And trying to let go of dieting and these unreal expectations that have been put upon your body for so long. We need each other. In order to get through this, I promise you, we need each other. So find your group of women, share this podcast with them, and let's go forward together trying to make this world a better place for all the women who come after us.